right, good morning. This morning we'll be in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. A couple announcements while you're turning there. The men's conference on in Kansas City is this weekend. If you haven't signed up yet, kind of need to do that pretty quick. Aaron is going down and he's going to kind of coordinate. I'm busy that weekend. I have a previous commitment, so I'm not going down this year, but I know Aaron is and some other guys are. So if you're planning on heading down to Kansas City, uh, you can go back to the sound booth and Aaron's back there and he can talk to you about rides and all that, or or at least you, so you can sit together or whatever. So that's coming up. And uh, if you need a, a link to go sign up online, Aaron can give you that also and uh, or send that to you or put on your phone or whatever, and you can get that done. Also, um, what well, is also... Uh, Oh, New Believers Bible Study. They're, uh, they're going to start the series back up again. We've gone through it once now. They're going to take this Sunday off, tonight off. They will start again next Sunday. That's at 6 p.m. here uh, at the church in the large classroom in the back. So if you're a new believer or you just want to get some basics down or go through some of the uh, foundational doctrines of Christianity, um, they'll be going over those things uh, beginning next uh, May 2nd, Sunday at 6 p.m. You're welcome to join them for that. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the scripture, the time of worship and singing, which is a wonderful time. Uh, it's prepared us now in our hearts. Uh, it's, it's stirred up our hearts to receive everything you have for us in your word. And uh, we thank you for that. We, we just really want to be changed and transformed um, and touched by you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm a little tired today. Um, uh, went to the zoo yesterday with six adult children, almost adult children, and four grandchildren, and one uh, father, grandfather, that I pushed around in a wheelchair. So you're lucky I'm here. Um, along with that, though, sorry, I don't know why I'm getting notifications off. Um, when I get tired, I get a little weepy. And it's a interesting topic today of Josiah, this beautiful little boy, Josiah, King Josiah, just Absolutely love this this kid, um, man, and everything. Anyway, so first teaching went okay. It's all right. Hopefully the second teaching go a little bit better. You always hope you do better. Um, but I'm sitting back there listening to worship again, and it's so convicting. Um, it's like God takes these wonderful moments, inappropriate moments, to convict me before I get up here. But yesterday was a, a zoo day, and there were four people came to mind while I'm uh, back here. Um, uh, singing, open, vulnerable, you know, and God says, good, I can talk to you about yesterday. Because some days you do good, and some days you don't do so good. Walking in the spirit, walking in the flesh. Well, you're a family day. Should be a wonderful time with the family, and it was. But there were four people that were not a part of my family that um, stepped into my life, and I didn't recognize what was going on. Um, the first kid, man, was a man who didn't have any arms and just had a hand sticking out of his shoulder up here and wore long sleeves so nobody could see. And he had his ID card up here in his little hand and he had put a pocket on his shoulder because that's where he was going to put everything. That's as far. And he walked in and I'm watching him walk up, you know, because like a kid, I can't not look away, you know, or woke, I'm just watching this guy going, he has no arms. I can't imagine growing up without arms his whole life because he's deformed. It's not like an accident or something. He's born that way. Wow. And he comes up to this lady who's in a wheelchair collecting IDs. And he goes, morning. Got it? Good. And he goes off and he's just walking to go look at animals. I'm like, why are you happy? You shouldn't be happy, you know. 
Okay. Should have figured that out right away. What a great person to got to that place in his life for going to the zoo, you know, with my hand and nothing else, you know. Second one, my father, uh, just a blessing all the way around, you know. He said, I think I, uh, my eyes are bigger than my stomach on this out and going to the zoo as with a replaced hip, can't walk on it very long, everything is. But he wanted to bless and just be a blessing to everybody and didn't want it to be about him. But it's, you know, it's just one of those things, kind of is. It's hard to move around and um, saw it and was blessed by him being there, but missed that a little bit too. Ben, on the way out of the zoo, there's this guy and he must not be kind of right, you know, not all there. Like they put him there to do a job is what I'm thinking on the way out. This is how I think sometimes and shouldn't. And he's talking to everybody on the way out. Did you have a good time? Did you have a good time? Did you have a great time? And I'm just trying to just walk past so I don't get accosted by this person, you know. He goes, hey, dad, hey, dad. Yes, you know. Now you got to find the car. <laughs> he just laughed. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I got to find the car. Missed it. This guy's doing nothing but try to, try to bring joy to people. Just being a blessing to everybody. Thousands of people walking out of the zoo and he's saying something to every single one of them. How was your day? And it's genuine. And I missed it, you know. Then we go to Cracker Barrel. And I'm sitting there minding my own business with a family full of people. You know, the whole gang's around this table. And some old lady steps up next to me, you know. One of those ladies that wears the purple hat and the red, you know, that group, we have the purple hat people kind of thing. Oh, cool. you know. <laughs> Do you know why Ketchup was embarrassed? No, why was Ketchup embarrassed? Because you saw the salad dressing. And then she shuffled off. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Go get your purple hat. That's not how she saw it. She came up to a family in the corner full of kids and just wanted to tell a little joke. And I was smart mouth with everybody. And oh boy, oh, can you believe that? And now I get to teach you people the Bible on Sunday morning. I may as well have been at the bars last night, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> just convicting, you know? Four different people, elderly, all trying to bring joy to this world. And had a spark and a light and a fire in them, I just didn't recognize it. Sad. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know why I have to confess these things every time. Why <laughs> can't you not be here? Or why do I, you know, can't this be by myself? It just has to be because I'm watching this Josiah and I'm reading this first paragraph. Read it with me. Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And that is the paragraph that God writes about this king who had a lot more years to talk about and a lot of good days and bad days. But when it comes to summing up his life, our gracious, beautiful, merciful father writes this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned 31 years. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of his father David and he did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. Doesn't mention any of his failures. Except for that Thursday or that Friday or that time he was at the zoo, you know. And he missed all four of my little blessings I sent his way. 
or didn't at least comprehend them completely. I'm very thankful for our God. That he's very gracious to us when he writes our story and (laughs) at least a paragraph we each get, you know, that we did what was right in the sight of the Lord and he's happy with us. And I appreciate this king. Now, before we go any further, I really need to start in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. And here's why. 325 years prior to King Josiah being born, a prophet came up to this horrible king who was sacrificing to the idols. The prophet from God comes up to this king and says in 1 Kings 13, 1 through 2, 325 years before Josiah is born, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. 325 years prior, documented. It's pretty specific, pretty specific stuff. I don't know if the Bible's true, pretty specific stuff. Hard to throw that one out. Well, maybe it was written after Josiah was born and they kind of post-dated it. 325 years? No, no. The documentation's there. So here he is, comes on the scene, eight years old, didn't have the greatest dad in the world. Didn't have the greatest granddad in the world. Um, everything around him is wrong. Um, everybody's worshiping all these other idols, all these other gods, and this kid is born. He's eight. Verse three. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge. So that's 16 years old, he began to seek the Lord. At 16. So you're eight years old, you become king. Well, there's a lot of learning you need to do. Got some school, eight years of school. And they're orating to him. They're giving him lessons on his heritage, his ancestor, David. He's surrounded by all these pagans, all the pagan idolatry, all the things going on. And he gets to his great, 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 15 generations, David. He's learned that Israel has been made by God, uh, birthed by God, saved by God, given this land by God, all these things by God. And he hears about this King David, who's his relative, and he's thinking, I'm going to seek the God of my grandfather or my father, David. I want to know him. Out of all of these gods that I've grown up with or surrounded by at the age of 16 years old, every one of these gods meant to titillate some sort of the flesh. He chooses the true and living God. That's amazing. 16 years old. At the age of 20, he begins to purge Judah of all its idolatry and does exactly what that prophecy says, and we're about to read it. 20. Took him four years to develop his personal relationship a little bit, by the way, without a Bible. No word yet. This is all through teachers telling him about history and about these things. It's a spiritual relationship with God. He begins to seek out this God. He wants to know more about this God. I don't know how he's doing it through prayer. Maybe, maybe he's looking through some old scrolls or something, but he does not have scripture. They don't find that till later on, which is interesting. He is developing a faith that Abraham had. He's developing a faith that Isaac had or Jacob had all of these guys, these guys we know of Adam, uh, all these big guys, 
all had relationship with the true and living God before the scriptures. None of them had Genesis and all these things to read. Those weren't written until Moses. And so they're developing this faith relationship with him. It's very personal. And he begins to do something about it. He has such a strong relationship after four years of seeking after the Lord that he begins as a king. If I have the right, you guys say I have the right, I'm going to start purging all of these false gods out of the nation. He doesn't know he's supposed to do that. Now, maybe he's read in the past of kings doing that. I'm going to guess. Some of the good kings got rid of this stuff, but he's come to the conclusion all these things need to go, and he begins to act on that without Scripture. He begins to remove all these things, purge Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. He gets rid of all of them. In First Chronicles 16, verses 10 through 11, Speaking of seeking the Lord, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore. That's, that's David's psalm, his little song that he writes in Chronicles about a wonderful victory, a wonderful time in his life. And all he can do is encourage people, you need to seek the Lord. That's all I can tell you. You got to seek the Lord and there will be joy. It's amazing when you seek the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 12, 13 through 15, thus King Rehoboam, didn't seek the Lord, strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old and he became king and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was uh, Nema uh, and, and Ammonitus. And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. That's his paragraph. Just like Josiah had that first paragraph we enjoyed, this is his paragraph. He didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And he did evil. It's just, they go hand in hand. Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Seeking the Lord. That's the most important thing you can do with this life. There's nothing more important in this life than to seek the Lord. Nothing. Not a job, not a career, not a family. Um, lead your family, but lead them only one direction, to seek the Lord. That's all that matters is to seek the Lord. It's the only thing you take with you when you die, is the time you spent seeking the Lord and the fruit from that time seeking the Lord. There's nothing else worthwhile in this world to seek Him. And you will not be forsaken. See, the world will forsake you. The world will use you until they're done with you. When you bring no more value to their life, they will dump you. We bring nothing to the equation when we come to God. He's made us to worship him, but he was fine without us. He was just fine, and he made us because he loved us, and here we are worshiping him, and we get the benefit from it. He'll never forsake us because there's nothing we can take away from him. He just loves us because he loves us. He sets his heart on us because he sets his heart on us. His choice, he just looks at us. There's nothing more important. They say that, uh, you know, we just got it in our mindset. Well, teenage rebellion. Teenage, you just wait till they're teenagers, you know. We have that mindset in America, I think. That's not the case. It doesn't have to be that way. It may be that way, but it does not have to be that way. It's not a foregone conclusion that every teen is going to rebel. This kid didn't. Why didn't he? I mean, if anybody had a reason to rebel, it's this kid. He's surrounded by idols. Nobody's walking with the Lord. I mean, there's always a remnant, but maybe he's got someone whispering in his ear the right things. 
You know what he's doing, though? I mean, it's rebellion, I guess. He's rebelling against the culture. He's rebelling against the city. He's rebelling against the national direction of idolatry. I like that. I like that. that. That's how you talk to your teenagers. Why don't they want you to pray? Why are they trying to suppress God's word? Why does that matter so much? What difference does it make if it's not powerful, it's not real, it's ineffectual? Why don't they want the Bible at your school? Why don't they want you praying? Why do they not want you going to church? Why is it being suppressed? Why can you wear anything else around your neck but a cross and it's fine? But why a cross? What difference does it make? Why are they telling you not to? Who are they keeping you from? Rebel. I want to know. I want to know. What is it about this God? What is it about this Christianity that is so threatening to everybody? I want to know what it is. I want to rebel. And he does. And he leads a nation. Now, with that, he's by himself. He's got people with him. He's bringing people along with him. But if you're going to title a message, this would be rugged individual Christianity. It's got to be durable. Our faith has to be our own, and it has to be durable, and it shouldn't matter whether anybody's with us or not. It's got to be that way. It's the only way that we'll survive as Christians, is if it's ours and we don't care who comes against us. We will not forsake the Lord. That's the only way. It says in verse 4, they broke down the altars. I want you to see how passionate this kid is. I say kid, he's 20. Between 20 and 26, it takes him six years to do this. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence. So the king is with them. He didn't send people on errands. He is with them supervising this destruction. And the incense altars which were above them, he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images, he broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who sacrificed to them. <laughs> I mean, desecrating graves. He's going into cemeteries where this is Baal Cemetery. All the Baal worshipers are here. He says, oh, you want Baal? Well, here's your dead God on top of your dead bodies. I mean, they're dead. They don't know he's doing that. This is symbolic. This is, nope. I mean, this is passion. He has got a passion for God that is offensive to everybody, but I don't, to not have this passion is to be offensive to God. Hi, my name's Jesus. I'm the creator of the universe. I made the very dirt you're standing on. I created the very lungs that absorb the very oxygen I built and made. I created you. I put you together. I gave you the sun, the moon, the stars. I gave you everything. And now any, anything other than an absolute passion for him is offensive. How, how do you do that? How do you walk up to and say, well, thanks, but what have you done for me lately? And, and what about money? And, and I don't know. My relationship isn't what it's supposed to be with people. And I don't like my job. And oh, my goodness. We need to start crushing some idols, scattering some dust, having some passion. And he does that. And so he did, wait, and here's the sacrifice he, in verse 5. He also burned the bones of the priests. I don't know if they're alive or not, but they're, they're not at the end of this. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars, 
So there's the Baal altar priest going, hi, welcome to Baal worship. I'm, you're new here? You know, okay. Burn him. And they burn him on the altar and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali and all around with axes. <laughs> when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images and beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. He's with them the entire time. Six years later, he did this. Spent six years of his life. He still hasn't read the Bible yet. This is a guy on fire. So when your relatives look at you and say, you're getting kind of Jesus freaky on me, you know, you really need to read chapter 34. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not even close to Jesus freaky enough yet. You don't want to see this, you know. Very personal. Lot even was vexed by those things around him. Lot didn't have the scriptures either. You know, that was Abraham's nephew. Found himself in a place he shouldn't be, living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Destruction's coming. Two angels walk in. He knows enough that they're not supposed to be sleeping outside because this place is horrible. Come into my house. Now we'll be fine out here. No, you're not going to be fine out here. You need to come into my house. And he brings him inside. And if you don't know the rest of the story, you can read it. But even Lot in Hebrews is, is, you know, lifted up and said he was, a, he was a man who was vexed by where he lived. Amazing. This personal relationship that we can have with the Lord. Now, he doesn't want us just to have this um, kind of a touchy-feely, um, I'm going off what I'm hearing kind of thing, but I don't have the Bible relationship. But this has to be in every believer's life. Later on, he's going to find the book of the law, and he's going to read it, and he's going to tear his clothes. Spoiler alert, today in this chapter. And he's going to be brought even closer to God based off of what he's read. But if you have the word only without what we just read right now, your faith is probably dead. You just have scripture. You just have verbiage. You've memorized. You understand the list. You understand the... um, uh, the do's and the don'ts, basically, of Christianity. And, and a lot of people live their whole lives in, in, in their walk with the Lord, if there is a walk, in that. Just, but they don't have that passion. They don't have that desire. They can look beyond what the Bible... The Bible doesn't say anything about uh, computer applications or phone applications. You mean you can't figure that out? You can't deduce from what you've read that that isn't something that should be on your phone? Or that you shouldn't be on that site? Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about electronic things, you know. Oh, wow, dude, you've only got the letter. You don't have the Spirit. See, there's a scripture that says the Spirit gives life and the letter kills. Not exactly what it means. Some people take that the wrong way. But you've got to have both. You've got to have the Word of God and you've got to have the Holy Spirit. And this kid has a wonderful relationship with God. And then he gets the Word of God. And it brings him even deeper with the Lord. Doesn't contradict ever, just brings him closer. Verse 8. In the 18th year of his reign, 26 years old, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of uh, Azaliah, Masai, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Johaz, um, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. When they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites um, 
who kept the doors, had gathered from Manasseh, Ephraim, from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Then they put it in the hand of the foreman, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. Okay, so he even knows that. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I know that God's house shouldn't look like that. Shouldn't be mice, shouldn't have you know gold falling off the ceilings and stuff like that. We need to get this place shaped up, basically. He's got a template. He's looking at it. There's a, a stone missing over there where they shoved the idol into the corner. We got rid of the idol, but now we got to replace that stone. So he's got an idea, but he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. All he knows is it needs to happen. And, and by faith, he's just, hey, here's all that money. Spend it. Doesn't do anybody any good sitting in those coffers over there. Get rid of that money. Use it. Let's get the house of the Lord in shape. Let's go. You know? And so they get at it. It says, he gave it to the craftsmen and builders to buy hewn stone and timber for beams and to floor the house or the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. I underlined that. The men did the work faithfully. It's a little ver- It's a little short little sentence, but how important that is. Not just well, they weren't just skilled. I don't even know that they were that. But it does say this about them. They were faithful to do the work. They were there and they did it. I like that. Their overseers were Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites, the sons of uh, Mirari and Zechariah and Mishalem and the sons of the Kohathites to supervise. Others of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all who did the work in any kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. So during this time of restoration of the temple, your job description got a little broad, you know. I play the violin for the Lord. Well, today you're going to take care of level two, room five. You know, that's your job. That's what you're going to do. Make sure those guys are getting all the tile out of there. We got to get a whole new tile in and so on. You're an overseer. You're a supervisor in construction. All right, I could do that. And they do it. Faithful. Wonderful. Verse 14. And when they brought out the money, this is where it gets good that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Which means it hasn't been read, they haven't been doing it for so long. And you're going to see how we know that here at the very end. But they find the book of the law. Then Hilkiah answered and said to uh, Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Now Shaphan is just like, he's going to let... King Josiah know how it's going back on the job site. That's his job. He's going to give him a report. Here's the rundown. Okay. So he gives him the book. Hey, take this to the king. We found this. Okay. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants, they are doing. Looks good. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it to the hand of the overseers, the workmen. You know, a load of gold came yesterday. Got some timber from up there. A lot of it's still stuck in shipping. We don't know what's going on. You know, just a rundown. Here's how it's going. Look at this last thing he says. Um, then Shaphan, the, scri- the, scribe, uh, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a, a book. Just a book. And then he said, a book. He didn't even remember the name. The, the, the guy goes, here is the book of the law of the Lord. Great. 
I'm more worried about the shipping, you know, and the gold and the timber and all that. So everything's going great. And he gave me this book. Oh, read it to me. Read it to me. Thus it happened. When the king heard the words of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord uh, that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that was written in this book. He's broken. I mean, he's had a relationship with God up to this point for years and years and years, over a decade now. He's walked with God, kind of doing what he needs to do, what he thinks he needs to do. He gets this book and they begin to read it to him. And he's like, he tears his clothes. In humility, I'm broken. Oh my goodness. We're not even close. We're not even close. I don't know if up to this point he thought he was doing him a favor. You know, oh, his poor house, you know. Need to get his house in order. Now he's just like, oh man, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 through 29, Paul writes to the Galatians to let them know what this law is for. Because we've had a bunch of people have a relationship with God before the law, and we've got a New Testament relationship with Christ that's beyond. I mean, the law is a purpose. And so he's got to explain what was this book written for? Why do we have this here? Is the law uh, then against the promises of God? Are they contrary? Of course not, he says. Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But there's no such law. There is no law that says you get righteousness, here you go. You can't. But the scripture, what it has done, it hasn't given us righteousness, but what it has done is confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So in other words, everybody that thought they were getting to heaven based off of the scale method, my good outweighs the bad, and a lot of people live their lives that way, I want to take that off the table by giving you the book of the law. You thought that if you could do more good, you might be able to tip the scales just in time of your death that you did more good than bad, and in you go. And a lot of the world thinks that's how it works. I think they're in heaven. Why do you think they're in heaven? Well, they did a lot of good things for the people. No. No. The law was meant to say, you've broken the law. The wages of sin is death. That's it. It doesn't matter that you killed 12 people, but you stopped. Good job. No, you've got to pay for the 12 people you killed. It doesn't matter that you've stopped sinning. It's about the sin you've already committed. What do you do with that? There has to be justice. And so the law was to bring us to that place. And the law doesn't care who you are, what you look like, male, female, anything about you. Did you break the law? Well, yeah, but there's no buts. That's it. You broke the law. And so it brought everybody under sin so that God can now come in and say, now that you know you can't do it, I'm letting you know the solution. My son, Jesus Christ, is going to do it for you. He's going to die on the cross and take all of your sin, all of the rap sheet that you have, I'm going to put on him, and he's going to pay the price for you instead. That way justice is fulfilled and you are set free and you get to go to heaven. That's what the law is meant to do. That's what's happened to, to Josiah. He's reading this saying, we're not even close. We're not even close. Let me finish up Galatians here. I don't want to leave you there. 
But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, trusting in Jesus. That's what it means. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. What a relief. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Beautiful. Beautiful. So Josiah is broken. He says, we need to talk to God now. How bad is it? So Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shulam, the son um, of Tokhath, the son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her to that effect. The remnant is always there. Do we have anybody we can talk to about this? There's a prophetess over in apartment 2A, you know, over in the second quarter. Have you ever been down there? I don't go to second quarter. I don't know. And they knock on her door. Who knows what she thought? I mean, I don't want to ad lib here, but she's probably like, usually when people knock on my door, it's they want to burn me or whatever, because I'm a prophetess of the most high God. So here they come. And so she answers them, bold. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. Now, that's a tough prophecy to give, knowing that you're the minority, obviously. Remember, you're the remnant. Is that what the king wanted to hear? It doesn't matter. I've got to say what I have to say. And he does, or she does. Now, along these lines, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Prophetess. It's a girl. It's a girl. I love this. Here's why. Miriam, Aaron's brother, or Aaron's sister, <laughs> brother, Aaron's sister, she was a prophetess. Deborah, now she was a judge, but she was only a judge because she was a prophetess, it says. And then you've got Huldah, this lady here, she's a prophetess. Then you've got Anna, who meets Jesus when he's getting circumcised at the temple, she's a prophetess. Then you've got Philip in the New Testament, and he had four daughters that were prophetesses. You know, what a great ministry, you know? Anyway, I just think that's cool uh, that they throw that in there. Now, we had two bad prophetesses, too. So don't just think, well, I think I'm a prophetess. Well, you could be a bad one, and you get stoned if you're a bad prophetess. Jezebel called herself a prophet. Pro, you know, you don't want to be that prophetess. Okay, Jezebel, she's bad. And Noadiah. Now, we don't really hear much about her. You're like, oh, yeah, Noadiah. Nobody's named their kid Noadiah, I'm pretty sure. Um, she was a prophetess that was on the bad side of things, too. She, would, she tried to disrupt Nehemiah's rebuilding. She was a prophetess that was trying to bring fear into him so that he wouldn't continue doing what he was supposed to do. Anyway, she was a bad one. But there they are. There are these prophetesses coming in just at the right time. God uses these women and brings them in. And, uh, it's such a blessing. So here's the, that's the bad thing. That's the bad side. Now, he says, she, she finishes up. She's not done prophesying. Verse 26. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is part two. In this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. 
Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against his inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. And that's very similar to what was said to that king earlier. Remember that king who said, I want more time. I don't want to die yet. And he says, okay, I'll give you 15 more years. I'm going to do this to the land, but I'm going to give you 15 more years. And you won't see any of it. You won't see any of the calamity I'm bringing on you. And his response was, but I'm okay, right? Yeah, I'm okay, right? Yeah, you're going to be okay, but your kids are going to be servants and some other guys. Yeah, but I'm okay. And we thought, man, what a creep, you know? Josiah's response is completely different. Almost gets the exact same prophecy. You're going to your fathers. You're going to be great. You're not going to see any calamity. Here's what he follows up with. Here's how he finishes his kingship or his reign. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He had to go get them. Keep that in mind. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the priests, the Levites, and all the people, great and small, he made them all come out, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. He desperately wants them to change course. He is hoping that when they hear the words of the Lord, like he heard the words of the Lord, there's going to be an equal or similar response like he had. They're all going to tear their clothes today. They just need to hear the Bible. They just need to hear what God has to say. As soon as I read to them, they're all going to repent. And I tell you what, I think anybody that's ever taught a Bible study or reached out to people or done street witnessing is hoping and praying the exact same thing. But if you've ever done it before, you know that's not the case. Some people just don't receive it. And you can't make them. And you can't talk them into it. You can. You can talk them into that earlier relationship I was talking about where they know the letter of the law, but there's no spirit. You've drug them into the kingdom, but they don't want to be there. You can talk them into that. You can fear them, scare them into a corner to where they have no place else to go, but they do not want to be with God, but they have to be, and that's not what God wants. But he thinks, and this is the difference between him and that other king, I'm not willing to, I'm not, Josiah doesn't say, but it's not me, right? He takes the rest of his reign to try to convince the rest of Israel, please don't go the direction you're going. Please do what I'm doing. Please follow me. It's like he's dragging his kids to church. It's like he's making them go to Sunday school. It's like he's making them read the Bible. He's making them do whatever he can do. He's doing whatever he can do, and I commend him for that. He needs to do that. He's doing everything he can, but the decision has to be theirs. He read in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And you know that was genuine. Oh God, I'm here to tell you right now. I, anybody with me? I, you know, and I'm sure it was genuine. Verse 32, obviously not spontaneous. There's nothing going on around him, so he does this. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. I, I know you can understand where he's coming from. 
please do what God tells you to do. Please hear the prophecy of the doom that's coming, the judgment that's coming. Please hear that you need a Savior. Please hear that you must follow him or you're doomed. Please take this oath with me. You ever seen a veteran pledge allegiance to the flag versus, I don't know, someone who doesn't quite get it? I think we've seen a lot of that on TV these last two years. Stomping on the flag or stepping on it or not understanding it or lackluster pledges. Is it my left hand or is it my right hand? Am I supposed to sit or stand? Do I have to stand? You know, I pledge allegiance. That's what he's going to get out of this. And that's what we get a lot of times when we bring people or try to bring people to the Lord. Yeah, yeah, I know I need to do that. I really, need to, I really, really need to do that. I know I need to get back with God. I really do. Just that lackluster, and you're looking at him going, mm, it didn't hit. He didn't get it. Because when it hits, when they're born again, they're on fire. It is what started off at the beginning of this chapter where they're purging their lives. They don't know exactly why or what, but they know that it does not belong here in their lives. And they begin to purge and they grind it to powder and they leave it in the dust and they don't care who's with them or not. Now they try to get everybody to come with them, but whether they're with them or not, like Josiah, they're going to move forward with the Lord, no matter what I'm walking with God. Alone or with a bunch of friends? And I hope it's with a bunch of friends. But if it's alone, it's alone. And they just go for it. Rugged, individual Christianity. You've got to have it. It's got to be durable. He made them all. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God all his days. They did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Now you can bet after next week, we got one more week with Josiah, what happens when he dies? Can you take a wild guess? It doesn't stick. Now, last thing I want to leave, I got two minutes. It's one scripture, Psalm 27.4. And I pray that this is our prayer, our personal prayer. And again, it's one of those things where I will pray this with all my heart, and I will hope that everybody prays this with all their heart, but you have got to do it. Every 16-year-old in this room, every 14-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 11-year-old, 10 I don't know how far down we go today, every one of you has to make this personal decision to let this be the prayer of your heart, to be rebellious against this world, to find out why they're keeping you from Christ, why is it so and remember where they're being moved from. They're, the world does not have Christ, as their, does not have Jesus, does not have the Holy Father of Heaven. They're following a different Father. And that Father desperately wants you to not see Christ, to not know Him, and to go where He's going to be sent. And you can try to figure out who that enemy might be. Figure it out. Find out who that is. Research it. Rebel. Psalm 27.4 says, One thing... I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. I pray that you make that choice today if you haven't. But you've got to do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. For those this morning that are moved by your spirit, have heard your word, have torn their clothes in their heart, 
and have been humbled. Lord, they want to receive you as their Lord and Savior this morning. They give you their lives. They understand what you've done, that you died on the cross. The Word of God has showed them their sin, that they're desperate need of a Savior right now. And they know that your son, is, Jesus, has died on the cross for those sins. And that is their way of salvation. They believe in that today. By faith, they trust and put their lives in Jesus' hands. And they want you, Lord, to be there all in all, everything. Not only their friend, not only their counselor, but their God in whom they worship. And so we thank you and we commit our lives to you. For those of us who've been walking with you and were encouraged this morning by Josiah, help us to have that testimony regardless of who's with us, we will serve the Lord and our hearts will follow with us. And we hope they will have their own personal commitment, but whether they do or whether they don't, we will never forsake you because we know you will never forsake us. And we, we keep that relationship on burning inside of us, Lord. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for Josiah. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for that first paragraph you wrote about him. And we pray that we'd have one similar, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.